It's officially the offseason. You've got questions about stud third base prospects, some potential trades, and some sleeper minor leaguers. Hopefully I've got answers. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And it is officially the offseason. The Houston Astros have defeated the Philadelphia Phillies and have won the World Series four games to two. I do believe Bet Online had that as the most common outcome. So shout out to Jimmy and the boys over there. I do want to say it's really cool to see Dusty Baker win a championship. If you don't know some of the story about Dusty Baker, uh, long career all around baseball, was drafted in 1967 out of high school by the Braves, wasn't originally going to sign. The Braves sent Hank Aaron to convince him to sign. He signed. He debuted in 1972, uh, was actually in the lineup batting fifth, so one spot behind Hank Aaron on April 8th, 1974, when Hank Aaron hit number 715. Uh, was traded the end of the next season, so November 1975, to the Los Angeles Dodgers, where, and I am not making this up, he invented the high five. Uh, the first recorded instance of a high five happening was Dusty Baker and teammate Glenn Burke on October 2nd, 1977. Um, went on, one, uh, was a two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, uh, won a gold glove, won two World Series, was named the NLCS MVP in 1977, uh, later went on to be a manager, three-time National League Manager of the Year, and in 2022, at the age of 73, finally won his first World Series. So congratulations to Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros on their victory. Uh, but it's a Mailbag Monday. We've got questions from y'all. Brendan sent me a couple questions via email. First one he asked was about third baseman Josh Young of the Rangers. He wants to know like what's a reasonable expectation for Josh Young. And if you remember going back in the beginning of the season, the expectation was Josh Young was going to be the opening day third baseman and be on the roster all season. And he, he had a shoulder injury and wasn't able to, to spend... Most didn't spend most of the season with the team. 2019 first rounder out of Texas Tech, uh, and is very much seen as an offensive first prospect, right? Good hitter for average. He's got really good exit velo. Uh, he's got good, significant pull side power. And defensively, he's trying to work to get to the point of average defensively at third base. I'd say he's fringe to average. Probably right now, arms a little bit above average. He's a below average runner. Comes out to somewhere between fringe and average. I think that he'll probably cap out as an average defensive third baseman. He may be somebody who later in his career, he may end up moving to first. I don't quite know. But was called up September 9th. Uh, you know, got eight games in rookie ball for rehab and then to about, to about a month in AAA, Round Rock. And... When he got called up, the Round Rock numbers were pretty good. 273, 321, 525. Six home runs, 13 extra base hits. And just didn't look like that player when he got his first taste of big league action. 26 games, 204, 235, 
418. Hit five home runs, so the power kind of was real. 10 extra base hits. Four walks to 39 strikeouts. He struck out 38% of the time. And I think, you know, there's a couple things at play here, right? One, he lost almost a full season because of the injury. And so timing and things like that aren't quite back. Obviously, that is a big jump to make it to MLB. And so that's always an adjustment for a lot of guys. And if you think about it, uh, Josh Young's never spent more than 43 games at any level in any one season. Uh, he spent 43 games last year in AA Frisco before moving for 35 games to AAA Round Rock. And this year, 23 games in AAA Round Rock and then 26 games in the bigs. And so he's not used to getting to a level and not, and not essentially almost immediately being successful. Needs a little bit of time. I still see, when I look at him, I still see a guy that, if everything hits right, has the potential to bat 275, 25 home runs. Now, he's probably still going to strike out 20% of the time. His strikeout rate in the minors has kind of always hovered around that low to mid-20s mark. I, I see, you know, 22%, 25% kind of being realistic for where Josh Young's going to be. But I do think that if everything clicks, the power should come in the home runs, the batting average will come, and the on-base isn't going to be significantly higher than the batting average because he doesn't walk a ton. He's just not, I think, in 153 games in his minor league career, including time in rookie ball and all of that, he's only walked like 50 times. Uh, so, and you know, and that's obviously with a disproportionate amount of this time being in rookie ball, whether when he was originally drafted or in a rehab assignment. So... Interesting to see what's going to happen there. And then Brendan asked about Kumar Rocker and what I've seen from the Arizona Fall League and how, what I think is going to happen with Rocker next year. So we did talk about Rocker a little bit at length last Thursday in the Arizona Fall League episode, if you want to go check that out. But has cleaned up a lot of the stuff as far as the rust and the, you know, the, the ineffectiveness he showed to start the Arizona Fall League season. He's now at 10 and two-thirds innings, eight hits, four runs allowed, uh, nine walks to 13 strikeouts, but his most recent outing was on Halloween. Through three innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts. The slider looks to be back to a 70 grade. It's nice and sharp. Uh, fastball sits 95-96. The changeup's mid-80s. But the thing that a lot of people have noticed is that his arm slot is lower than it was in college. Uh, we saw it a bit in indie ball. And if you remember, he had a surgery the end of last year, September, October or so. And that's why it took him so long to get into independent ball. And when you see somebody's arm slot drop down and it's not a one-of thing. Like guys, can, pitchers can change their arm slot. Watch Nestor Cortez. The two things that he can do is he does, he messes with the timing, how long the leg lift takes and what he's doing during that leg lift. And then he'll sometimes drop the slot on a pitch so that he can, one, make a pitch do something, do a movement that you haven't seen. And then two, he likes to do that when he goes kind of out of what a normal sequence would look like. I remember watching a Yankees game and Nestor Cortez throws a 3-2 slider, but he does it, he does a little timing thing, and then he throws the 3-2 slider from a lower arm slot. And the hitter had too many things that were different on this third time through the order than the first two times he had seen Cortez, and he swings and misses, and Cortez gets the strikeout. So you occasionally see guys drop a slot a bit intentionally. 
you know, and then it goes back to normal. Rocker's slot is lower than where it was in college. And it's going to help a little bit with the fastball. The fastball is going to play up a little bit, a little better extension, a little better uh, disguise to the movement for it. I don't think it's going to do a lot of favors for the slider and the changeup. And the question is why? Uh, guys either drop or change their arm slots because they feel like they're ineffective and they want to get more effectiveness from their pitches, or they do it because they're compensating for an injury or for uncomfortable stresses somewhere in the structure of the throwing arm. So that's the big question. There's already a little bit of effort with the delivery with Kumar Rocker. And so now you've got a little bit of questions about health and about what he's going to do. And we're not really going to have answers to these. Just the way that it works is we're just not ever going to have full answers as to what is the health status of Kumar Rocker or what is he going to look like until we see him in action in regular season ball. So uh, I expect him probably to do high A, double A next year, maybe even to triple A. You do have to remember he's coming off of, in essence, a year where he pitched three or four times. And so I don't think they're going to do like a Jack Leiter and start him right at double A right away. It's probably going to start off a little bit lower and give him time to work up as well as time to build up physically. In just a minute, I want to get to uh, a question about some possible trades for Tampa Bay and their giant 40-man roster crunch that's coming through. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football, the start of the new basketball season, latest player developments, team matchups, news, in-depth analysis for just about every sport out there. The big thing to me, now that we have gotten through the World Series is we have odds for the 2023 World Series. So our buddy Jimmy sent an email out Sunday morning about 11 o'clock or so. Probably was nude in his head because the time change. Uh, as of Sunday morning, the World Series odds for 2023, the Los Angeles Dodgers are the favorite at 11 to 2, followed by the Houston Astros at 7 to 1 and the Atlanta Braves at 17 to 2, which is really 8 and a half to 1. Behind that, you've got some some distinct groupings. The Yankees and Blue Jays are 10 to 1. The Mets are 12 to 1. Behind that, the Philadelphia Phillies and the San Diego Padres are 14 to 1. The Chicago White Sox are 16 to 1. That's the most surprising one to me. And the St. Louis Cardinals are 18 to 1. So obviously, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, not only uh, football and basketball that are in and hockey that are in season, but MMA, boxing, golf. MLB, everything else. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because bet online is where the game starts. Okay, so question from our friend Jacob on Twitter about possible trades to Tampa Bay. We've, ta- we've ta- had this conversation before. Tampa Bay is looking for power. They're looking for lefty power and some recent quotes uh, from, I mean, from the team themselves, from, from the general manager have said like, this is a thing that we have got to do. And so Jacob suggested a couple different trades, uh, Andrew Vaughn, Kevin Crone, and Seth Beer. So you're going to see a lot of movement by Tampa Bay at the trade deadline. There's a lot of addition and subtraction that they have to do for the 40-man roster. Last year, they added five prospects to the 40-man roster. They traded four players. This year is going to be something similar to that. Um, And the big thing here, the big reason for this is they were one of the worst teams at DH production last year. So you're going to see a deliberate, intentional move, and you're going to be using some of these extra prospects that you have to do it. I don't necessarily think Andrew Vaughn's a favor to get moved 
by the White Sox just yet. Still feels kind of early for that. I could be wrong, and if I've if you've seen indications otherwise, let me know. But uh, Seth Beer and Kevin Crone are discussions worth having. Crone's a free agent first baseman. Uh, 2014 14th round pick out of TCU by the Diamondbacks. I believe he's the older brother of the Rockies, CJ Crone. And he has spent the last two years, he has been playing overseas. He's been playing in Japan. He's been playing in Korea. And he's accumulated, coincidentally, exactly 162 games uh, in those foreign leagues. So his slash line over the last two years together, 231, 278, 427, 26 home runs, 51 extra base hits, 30 walks to 170 strikeouts. So striking out just over once a game. Some of that can be a little bit of sample size stuff there. Um, But hitting plenty of home runs, giving you the power production. Uh, So he's an option. I don't know exactly how the contract status works when you're a member of the KBO or the JPCL or whatever it might be and you're trying to make a move. I don't quite know if you're an American and you go over there. You don't have to go up to the posting system. I believe... As long as your contract has an out, you can sign with an MLB team. So the Rays may do something like that as a low-cost option. Uh, Seth Beer from Arizona is a really interesting option, and I'm glad Jacob mentioned this. So 2018 first-rounder out of Clemson by the Astros, and he was moved from the Astros to the Diamondbacks in the Zach Grinke deal. 28 games in 2022 at the big league level, 16 starts at DH. 189. 278, 293. One home run, which was on opening day. He hits a home run. I think it's a three-run home run on opening day. Doesn't hit another one in in the big leagues for the rest of the year. Uh, 11 walks to 31 strikeouts in 28 games. The Diamondbacks were cycling through a lot of different players in their lineup at DH because they had so much outfield talent. They had infielders who came back. At one point, they had Josh Rojas and Emmanuel Rivera that they were trying to find playing time for at third base. DH, they had a lot of, uh, whether it was was catchers, a lot of outfielders, they were cycling through later in the year through the DH role. So they weren't using Seth Beard. He was down in the minors. And 90 games in AAA Reno, 242, 361, 435, 14 home runs, 35 extra base hits, struck out 68 times to 44 walks. So the peripherals look good. He can play defense at the major league level. He's not fantastic, but he can do it. And so I think that might be an option. Uh, I like that. I did see um, at Trifected on Twitter, and in response to some of this stuff, had a really interesting idea for a trade with the Royals. And I'll remind you, Matt Quattraro is the new Royals manager. He came from Tampa Bay. Uh, He was quoted in his opening press conference. He was asked, like, what's the common denominator to the teams that he was coaching with? So Tampa Bay and then Cleveland before that being successful. And without hesitation, he said pitcher. Pitcher is the reason that we were pitching. It was the reason we were so successful. And so there was a proposal here, again, from Trifected on Twitter, um, to make an offer to the Royals and trade Starting pitcher prospect Taj Bradley, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, for Royals first baseman Vinny Pascantino. Uh, very much, I feel like it's a little bit of an overpay for a Pascantino, but it's very much a, you're dealing with a manager that you know, you're dealing from a position of strength because you have lots of pitchers, and you're trading a future asset for a current asset. And, 
he made this point on Twitter that uh, Taj Bradley is probably about two years away, right? He's not going to help you in 2023. He's not going to help you in 2024. Whereas right now, you are in the middle of a competitive window. Uh, the Yankees kind of proved late in the season that they are very heavily reliant on Aaron Judge. If Aaron Judge does not re-sign, there's a question about how good their offense will be. The Red Sox are down right now. Uh, the Orioles are on the upswing, so you need to get in there before the the Orioles start giving you too much fight. And so the moment is prime right now, and if you can go out and get an impact power-hitting lefty first baseman, which Vinny Pasquantino absolutely is, uh, you have to consider trading a guy of, with the ceiling of a Taj Bradley to do it. And I think the Royals are a good fit for something like this. They've got Nick Prado as well at first. And so they have somebody to take that role. They're not losing out. Prado's actually a better defender than Pascantino is. And you know, not that Pascantino's bad. Prado's just a good first base, good defensive first baseman. And so you have an opportunity to make a big swing for a guy that will give you a lot of big swings. I've talked on this show before about I think Vinny Pascantino is going to explode next year. And I have him as one of as like an all-star next year and a guy who may absolutely do stupid numbers. And so if the Royals don't quite think they're in contention next year, or they like the idea of finding that elite pitching prospect, they may make this trade, especially depending on how they view Austin Lacey and where they view his development. They may say, this is our future number one, and we can get, move from a position of strength to do this. So I like the idea. I'm really intrigued. I'm curious about what's going to happen with that and if we're going to see deals between the Royals and between the Rays now that Matt Quattraro is there. But I find it really interesting. In just a minute, I've got some questions about minor league pitchers that I think might break out in 2023. Uh, Some guys that I've, I've loved the stuff that I've seen from them and guys that would either are trade targets or may just pop in their minor league systems next year right here unlocked on MLB prospects. And we're back. So uh, David in email asked some questions about minor league pitchers that aren't top 100 guys or aren't highly heralded guys that I absolutely love right now. So a couple guys here for you. First one, right-hand pitcher Taylor Dollard of the Mariners. Uh, 2025th rounder out of Cal Poly. Got 27 games in double A this year and did a lot for himself because his 2021 was bad. 5-1-4 ERA, struggled just about every facet, whether it was uh, too many walks, not enough strikeouts, anything you can possibly imagine. So uh, twenty in 2022, 27 games all in double A in Arkansas, 16-2. We don't normally talk about win-loss records with minor leaguers, but I thought that was particularly notable. 16-2, 225 ERA, 144 innings pitched, had 131 strikeouts, so about 8.2 per nine, to 31 walks, so less than two walks per nine. And the thing is here, very much has kind of been a control guy, but had good stuff on all of the analytical models, and like that's why he got drafted, that's why they stuck with him. Uh, went to the shove camp, that's what they call their pitcher training, where they go and they do physical development, they work on velocity, they call it shove camp. Added about 25 pounds. A good portion of that was muscle, but it picked up velo there as well. And so now the slider is a is still a plus pitch. And there was a I saw a a 
report from a prospect who was facing him who said that that pitch took a hard left turn when it got to the plate. So very, very sharp movement on the slider. But then to go along with that, the fastball now can sit 94-95, and so it becomes average to above average. Combine that with a changeup that I think is average and a curveball that's that's below average but close to being average, and I think you've got all of the stuff to have a you know a pl- like plus control. You've got the stuff to be a guy who can do a double A to triple A, and then in your big league rotation. I don't see t- Taylor Dollard as being like a number one or number two or anything, but going from a a, f- a fifth round prospect after not having a season and a bad 2021 to a dude who you can comfortably project, you know, a number four, number four, number five, to me feels like a pretty significant jump. And he's just a guy that's good. It's fun to watch. He understands pitching. He understands sequencing. He under he has that pitch ability. That's just fun and enjoyable to watch as a uh, an educated fan of baseball. So I enjoy Taylor Dollard, and then Mason Miller of the A's, twenty twenty one third rounder out of Gardner Webb, and hasn't thrown a lot professionally this year. Got in five games, twelve innings. I'm sorry, fourteen innings this year, but uh, twenty five strikeouts to three walks. Had a right shoulder strain, shut him down for most of the year. I've seen a little bit of him at the uh, in the Arizona Fall League. I feel like he's gonna move fast once he can prove that he's healthy. Um, Faceball, uh, the the fastball for Mason Miller, seventy grade. It can touch a hundred and one. It's got a lot of induced horizontal break to it, and the the slider has a lot of two plane break, so it kind of dives down and away from a batter. I think it's a plus pitch. The changeup is is really close to being average. And I, I part of me thinks it's hindered a little bit by the recovery from the shoulder strain. And so I expect next year, he's, he's going to be a guy who's going to be able to move rather quickly. Uh, he pitched some, two of, his, two of his games, five of his innings in 22 were in AAA. He feels like probably a double A to triple A guy to me next year. Part of the reason it was in AAA was because of the timing of the season. They had to find ways to get him in. AA was wrapping up in the playoffs, so they sent him to AAA. But I still feel like he's going to be able to be a AA to AAA guy next year. And I just really like what I've seen from Mason Miller. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Tomcat on YouTube actually had a question about the concert posters behind me. I've got a couple Jason Isbell posters back there. And he wanted to know, what are my top five concerts? Uh, and I... It's a great question. I love getting a personal question. That's fun. Um, so, honorable mention, the only one that involves baseball, is I actually saw Zach Brown Band in Atlanta back when it was SunTrust Park. Saw Zach Brown Band in Atlanta. They were on the field. They had a setup on the field. It was after a game uh, kind of thing. It was like a late afternoon game, and then there was like an hour break, and then they went on and did a whole concert. Went with my sister, that was fun. But top five concerts for me. Uh, number five is the one... With the airplane, if you're watching on watching on YouTube, Jason Isbell in Auburn. The the university here opened a new performing arts center. And so Jason Isbell was the headliner of the opening weekend. Uh, it was light rain that day, but it was just like, this is the thing I get to do in my hometown now. Like, this is here. I don't have to drive somewhere else to go see a Grammy-winning artist. So I thought that was pretty exciting. I enjoyed that. Number four was I went to Tampa and saw Chris Stapleton 
and Hank Williams Jr. They played separately. They didn't play together. But this was the last tour that was booked before Chris Stapleton had explained. Chris Stapleton had just taken off, but this tour was already booked. And so like half the crowd was there for Chris Stapleton, not for Hank Williams Jr. But getting to see the two of them uh, and the similarities and then the differences in their styles, that was really interesting. And then they came out at, at the end together and Chris Stapleton played with Hank Williams for a song or two at the very end. I thought that was pretty cool. And again, that was the last tour before Stapleton became huge and won his own Grammys and started headlining his own tours. Uh, number three was Jason Isbell at the Ryman. The Ryman Auditorium in Nashville is uh, called the Mother Church of Country Music. It's a legendary venue. It's been around for over 100 plus years. Uh, it is like a cathedral. It is fantastic. Uh, it actually was built as a church. And so and so uh, that was my favorite artist and my favorite venue. That's kind of why it's in the top the top five. Number two was Willie Nelson in Chastain Park in Atlanta. So outdoor environment. It's like terraced lawn seating. Uh, it's raining slightly. And we're listening to Willie Nelson sing uh, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain um, in the rain in Atlanta, Georgia. It was, kind of, it was just a really cool moment. It was a great concert. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and number one was St. Paul and the Broken Bones. It's a it's a band out of Birmingham, Alabama, playing at the Ryman Auditorium. That was my first time going to the Ryman. And so the combination of a band that's from the state where I'm from, where I've met some of those people, I know some of those people in a venue that I absolutely love, going there for the first time, uh, all of that combined to make it a fantastic concert and one of my favorites. If you've got questions for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm, or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Crazy week this week. Free agency's going hot and heavy already. Uh, we're going to be recapping all of this, so stay tuned to Locked On MLB Prospects.